speak through it now. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please take a seat. <coughs> it's wonderful to be back here. Uh, for those who don't know me, which is the majority of people here, I think my name's uh, Robbie Robinson. I uh, was ordained in 2015, and I don't think I've been back even for a visit since then, so it's, it's lovely to be here anyway. Um, I was a, a curate in Oma in Drumraa Parish, there's one person from there here as well, and uh, it was a great three years, and then after that I decided I would uh, come to the army and get involved in chaplaincy there, and it has been, it's been wonderful. I've been there for almost two years now. Uh, I highly recommend it. You do travel the world. I can't believe the amount of places I've been in just uh, two years. And next year I'll be off to Afghanistan as well, uh, which you hear is lovely in the summer. But we'll, we'll see. It'll be a bit of a different trip. Um, and it's, it's nice to come back and uh, get involved in parish ministry again. I was able to preach at a harvest uh, back in Oma as well just a few weeks ago, uh, which is lovely because... Uh, there's less shouting and less press-ups and all that when you go back into <laughs> civilian ministry. Uh, one thing I'll say about the army is that they certainly love acronyms. It's like another language. Everything is an acronym. And I had to learn so many. Um, even that in itself is an acronym. They talk about TLAs, three-letter acronyms. Which is just, it's, so, <laughs> it's just so stupid. Um, but in the summertime, I visited one of those acronyms, BATUS, BATUS, British Army Training Unit, Suffield. It's a massive training area in Canada, uh, in Alberta, which is Western Canada. And if you know anything about Canada and that part of it, is that there's not much there. There's just an awful lot of space. And BATUS is an area, I'm told, it's the size of Luxembourg. And it's nothing but prairie, just grasslands completely empty. There, there's one tree in that area, if you can imagine, the size of Luxembourg. And that means that the wind just blows constantly because there's nothing to obstruct it. There's nothing in the way. In the summer it's very hot, in the winter it's very cold, and at night it's always cold. And that's why we go there. It's so extreme and so bleak. It's meant to test us, and it, it did test us. It's a, but it's an unreal place to go to. But one of the real advantages of being in a place like that is that there's no artificial light. And that means, obviously, that the night sky is amazing. I've never seen night sky like it. And it was wonderful. I was there for a month. And almost every night, we had perfect, clear skies. And you could lie there as we were outside and look at them for as long as you wanted. And I thought one night I would take advantage of that with two soldiers that I decided to speak to. Uh, two atheist soldiers, as they told me. I decided I'd put on my apologetics hat and see what I could do. That's what I said, isn't it amazing when you look up there that God places us exactly where we are in this exact spot in the universe. That we're not too close to the sun that we get burned up. We're not so far away that we freeze to death. That the moon is up there exactly where it should be. That it just happens to be the right distance. And at the right angle that we have tides that without which we would all die. That we have eclipses. Is that not even more amazing? That the sun is 400 times the size of the moon. And yet strangely enough it's 400 times the distance away. And that's the only reason we have eclipses. And earth is the only place that we know has an eclipse. And we just happen to live on earth. 
Now, does all that not make you even consider that there just might be a God? And what do you think they said? Nah. No, not really, Padre. <coughs> and so you go away a bit deflated. You know, and I remember sleeping in my, my sleeping bag that night, lying in the dark, and I did feel deflated. I thought, what's the point? What am I even doing in this job? Because I can't even move them towards theism. You know, never mind conversion. No matter what I say, the distance just suddenly seems far too great. How on earth am I meant to take them from there to there? It seems in my mind there's just too big a change and I'll never convince them. But then actually as I lay there, I realized, you know what? You're absolutely right because the distance is actually too great. The fact is actually the distance is a supernatural one. And it's true that only God himself can actually bring around that change. It is literally a miracle the miracle of conversion and of course that's one of the things the bible reminds us of time and time again and ephesians 3 is just one such place god has been looking back from the other side so to speak of that wonderful change and he's been thanking god for the ephesian church and what has happened in their life and just for context uh, by this point in chapter 3 paul has been excited about that fact and the fact that the gospel has been reaching out to the entire world, now available for everyone. He says just before our passage in uh, verse 8 to 9, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make clear to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. But now it is starting to spread. And we'll know, I hope, that that's the story of Acts. We see it spreading throughout the whole world, including the Gentiles. So then in our passage, when we get there, those first three words in verse 14, for this reason. That's it, the linking phrase there. Well, what for what reason? What is the reason he's referring back to? Well, obviously, what he's just been saying. The point he has been making up until now. And what is that point? Well, as he says in chapter 2, the most clear point he makes there. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. No longer strangers, but joined together. So that is the international spread of the gospel. And sometimes, even for us, it's very easy to forget how amazing that is. No longer strangers, no longer just for Israel. Up until now, he's been working with a very small group of people, but now he's working amongst the Gentiles, including us. In his love, he'd chosen to work in that small part of the world, a very particular place, a very insignificant place, but now working amongst everyone. Thankfully, even though we don't uh, always appreciate this, Paul can really see the difference the significance of what God is doing. He remembers what they were like before, and he says later in chapter 2, uh, verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, pretty bleak, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. 
But thankfully, as we know, it doesn't end there. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now that very quickly is what I should have remembered in Canada when I was lying there in the cold and dark. If I had remembered that little point, which I probably should have, I would have realized that that was God's perspective on the problem I was struggling with. It was beginning to seem impossible in my mind, but that wasn't actually the truth. Someone who clearly understood this well was uh, the Bible commentator Matthew Henry. In the 18th century, he was reading over these passages. And he made the point that the big thing we need to learn here is to never actually give up on anyone. Don't despair of even the worst of people. Now forgive me of quoting at length, it's not too long, but he makes the point so wonderfully well that God can indeed reach anyone. He says this, Let us observe that the conversion of the Gentile world to the faith of Christ was an adorable mystery, and we ought to bless God for it. Who would have imagined that those who had been so long in the dark and at so great a distance would be enlightened with the marvellous light and be made nigh? Let us learn hence not to despair of the worst, of the very worst of persons. Nothing is too hard for divine grace to do. None so unworthy, but God may please to confer great grace upon them. Basically, God can reach them. And God does indeed reach them. And of course we'll know that the, the testimonies are absolutely countless. We can name any number of people. Atheists, drug dealers, murderers, terrorists. that could go on and on. All of those type of people, as we could say, have been reached by God. And he continues to do so. I read of a, a street preacher recently who had been preaching for many, many years in the same spot. And someone came up to him and had given this testimony. He said, 12 years ago, I used to come out and listen to you. And the more I listened, the more angry I got. And actually, as I listened to what you were saying, I disliked it so much, I used to hurl abuse back at you because I wanted you to stop preaching. I didn't like what you were saying. And I got so angry, I even considered throwing objects at you. But 12 years later, I am now a Christian. A wonderful testimony but at the time those 12 years earlier that preacher would have had every right as he listened to that man as he seen the objects coming towards him he would have had every right to have doubted and thought in his mind there's no chance but God was able to change even that angry man and wonderfully in his own time he did so Paul is rejoicing the gospel is now going out to the whole world. It is changing lives of all kinds of people. But what is that change? Well, I've been speaking for quite a long while now, and I've only uh, done three words of the actual passage it was given, so I'll keep moving. Well, I could say many things about this tonight, about this change, but I will limit it to just one, just one. The change that God brought on these people, as we look back to the Ephesians, is not just a religious experience it is not just some ultimate high that we can finally see all things clearly it's not just a move such as that but of course it's not hard to find examples of people who do search for that kind of journey whether it's through drugs or alternative uh, religion 
or anything else. We see it often. Uh, one example I found was uh, a recent article in the New York Times. It was focusing on a place in Japan called Koyasan. It's become one of the most important destinations for Buddhist pilgrims. Today there are uh, spiritual uh, tourists, as they're called, are flocking to this one area because it gets such a good rap. Buddhism, you may know, places an emphasis on daily ritual, with the end goal being this, as the, the, the monks themselves describe, as, uh, as receiving, eventually, the Buddha nature. That's the goal. That's what all those daily works are for. But what was the result for these spiritual tourists? Well, according to the New York Times itself, it says this, some felt they weren't quite receiving a good enough spiritual bang for their buck. One person said, I expected something a bit spiritual and to feel that Zen Buddhist vibe. One visitor from Ohio complained, I have to say, I did not feel it. Spiritually disappointed. But as Christians, we don't need to worry about it in the same way. We don't have to worry about spiritual life not delivering. Because we have a wonderful, wonderful alternative. Something far, far more important than any temporary spiritual high. So what does Paul offer us? Well, we see it in his prayer. He prays this, that out of his glorious riches, in verse 16, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, they need Jesus in their inner being. He is basically saying that with Jesus' love, we can face anything. Our lives will be so changed by that love that we can keep going and face anything the world can throw at us. It's no surprise, really, that Paul does base all of this on love because he's only repeating what Jesus himself said. Matthew 22, you'll know it very, very well. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what is it all about, Jesus? Well, this is what he told us. Not just a feeling, not just a passing phase, but the unchanging love of God. And Paul prays that we be rooted in this love. If I had time, I would look into that in more detail. The fact that he mentions the power of that love three times in that small passage. And what is that power? Well, it's to grasp that love. That's really what that phrase, live by faith, really means. Trusting and loving in the simplest way. Not a mysterious power, not a trance. This is something which is right here right now for all Christians, for everyone. Not just special, mature, gifted believers, but for all people, ordinary believers using the ordinary means of grace, as we call them. Now you may be thinking that doesn't sound very exciting, doesn't sound very impressive, but actually if you think about it, this is actually the good news for us today. Because those things are made available for all of us in the here and now. It's actually this kind of thing that really changes us. Really sanctifies us. This is what the Holy Spirit does in us and points to. 
And that effectively is God is Paul's prayer for us this evening. For all of us who look to Jesus. Amen. I invite you to please stand now as we affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father of the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, True God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again, in accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. <coughs> Father in heaven, we thank you that we are no longer strangers, that you have closed the gap between our hearts and your love. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, our King. We pray he may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we might have the power to comprehend the breadth and length, height and depth of his love. Help us, Lord, to abundantly accomplish far more than we can ask or imagine. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all who serve the church as bishops, priests, and deacons, as diocesan and parish readers, and all who are trained as here for the ordained ministry. Give them, give us grace to nourish your people through spiritual worship, sound teaching, and pastoral care. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. We pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in other places and of other traditions. We pray especially for those around the world who are suffering intolerance, discrimination, or persecution because of their faith. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. We pray for each other as we seek to be witnesses to Christ in our everyday life, study, and work. Lead us by the Holy Spirit in the ways of Christ, so that we may learn to speak and act as he would. Lord, in your mercy. 
Hear our prayer. We pray for our governments and for the leaders of all the nations as they try to resolve the difficult issues confronting them. We remember countries embroiled in war or civil unrest, those where people face famine, natural disasters of any kind. We pray for refugees and asylum seekers around the world and for the efforts being made to reduce the effects of climate change. Help all in authority to know that they are accountable to you and guide them into policies that promote justice, reconciliation, and opportunity for all. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. We pray for all who are suffering at this time, and especially those known to us. We pray for all who are ill, in hospital, in nursing homes, or in their own homes. For all who suffer from any kind of disability, from all who are anxious, lonely, or depressed. For people struggling with addiction and for the bereaved. Bring healing, we pray, through the care they receive from doctors and nurses, home helps and carers, relatives and friends. We think of those who you place in our hearts and minds, silently now, together. Accept our prayers through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. <coughs> I invite you to please stand. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Also with you. Let us offer one another a sign of Christ's 